Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. How many of you have read the book, The Strong-Willed Child? How many of you have The Strong-Willed Child? Well, James Dobson wrote that book about me. Not really. My parents probably thought so. All of us who have and are parents understand what people mean when they talk about a battle of wills. In a couple of days, school's going to start. There's going to be a teacher at the front of the class, and there's going to be a class of people in the back, and there's going to be, in those first few moments, a battle of wills. There could be a battle of wills between a husband and a wife. Yes, we are, no, we're not. 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 There can be a battle of wills between you and your mother-in-law. There can be a battle of wills between you and your children. But the greatest battle of wills is between our will and the will of God. And that's why it's hard for us because we think we know what's best for our lives. And so when God's will changes that agenda for us, it makes us uncomfortable. In Colossians chapter 4, there are two references that Paul makes to the will of God. And I want you to look at chapter 4 and verse 12. Now, depending on which part of the country you were raised in, it's either Epaphras or Epaphras. Whatever you want to call him, his mother didn't like him very much to name him that, so... We'd, we would call him Bubba. <laughs> That's in the New Living Translation. <laughs> Bubba. <laughs> if you're in the South, you appreciate that, don't you? Everybody knows a Bubba. Well, Epaphras is a Bubba. <laughs> He's one of your number. He's a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and he sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Now, what's he laboring over in his prayer? That you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. There's a lot of confusion among Christians about the will of God. Chuck Swindoll says that the paths that lead to an understanding of his plan are strewn with, with the litter of confusion, mystery, frustration, guilt, and superstition. The question has to come. Does God make us go through all kinds of convoluted efforts to find out what he wants for us? Does God make his will elusive or difficult or impossible? I, I've heard people put out all kind of wild fleeces. In fact, if you read that uh, passage in Judges about the fleece, you will find that the fleece was always to confirm God's will never to find God's will. When you put a fleece out, it is to confirm, to make sure you're going in the direction that God wants you to go. It is not to find out if that's the direction you're supposed to go in. It's a very important distinction. Now, I've heard people say, you know, Lord, if you, you know, they, they're driving a car with 275,000 miles on it, the carburetor is hanging off on the side, the muffler is dragging the ground, and they're saying, now, Lord, if you don't want me to go witness to this person, don't let my car start. 
Well, the 99% chance is it probably not going to start anyway. But they use some kind of convoluted effort or scheme in their minds to try to figure out the will of God. Winston Churchill once described Russia in this way. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Kind of sounds like people trying to explain God's will. My favorite sermon on God's will was preached by Ron Dunn in this church about four or five years ago when he said that God's will has desire, opportunity, and Balaam's donkey. You have to have a desire. There has to be an opportunity because there's, if there's a desire but no opportunity, then it's not God's will. Then there has to be Balaam's donkey. If somehow you may have even orchestrated or made it happen where you've worked out the desire and you've worked out the opportunity, but it's not God's will, then you have to go before God and say, no, Lord, you know, I'm just hard-headed enough that if you've got to put a donkey in front of me to speak to me to stop me from doing this, then you do it. What does it mean to find God's will, to know God's will? Well, Paul, in this letter to the Colossians, uh, appears to have in mind a picture of two circles. One circle represents God's will for our lives, and the other circle represents our will. And he says that Epaphras is praying, and through prayer and earnest desire for people to find the will of God. That there doesn't have to be a battle here, but there can be a blending of the two wills. And this is a subject that is often discussed and more often misunderstood. Understanding the will of God is our problem. Now turn to chapter 1 and verse 9. I remember in chapter 4 and verse 12, he said that you may stand perfect and fully assured in God's will. In chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul is praying for the Christians at Colossae. And he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, you put filled with the knowledge of his will with what he says in chapter 4 and verse 12, to stand perfect and fully assured. To be filled with the knowledge of his will is to stand perfect and fully assured of what his will is. And so he says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You need to write by verse 9, chapter 4, and verse 12, because those two verses are interrelated. Now in verse 10, he tells us, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 9 has to do with knowledge and understanding. Verse 10 has to do with application. And he says there are four things that happen when you are filled with the knowledge of God. Now, this is not in your notes. This is free. Four things in verse 10 that happen. First of all, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Secondly, you will please Him in all respects. Thirdly, you will bear fruit in every good work. And fourthly, you will increase in the knowledge of God once you're filled with the knowledge of His will. Now, there are about seven things tonight that I think are a priority for us and what makes this prayer a priority for us as we seek and as we pray about God's will for our lives. How do we find the will of God? For all of us, every one of us face day-to-day decisions. Does God want me to do that? Does God want me to invest in that? Does God want me to buy that? Does God want me to go here? Does God want me to go there? Does God want me to to teach in this department? Does God want me to stay here? Does God want me to, to change locations, change houses, change vocations? Whatever it is, what does God want me to do? All of us come up with those questions. There are seven things that I want to give you tonight. 
First of all, you need to pray this prayer because human reasoning apart from the mind of God cannot validate ultimate truth. That's a long statement. Because human reasoning apart from the mind of God cannot validate ultimate truth. You see, there is a world of difference between our opinions and the mind of Christ. I want to say that again. There's a world of difference between our opinions and the mind of Christ. I have learned, how about you? I can talk myself into anything. I can convince myself of anything. In fact, I can talk long enough that I can convince my wife. You know, I'll see a car and I'll think, takes about six months to get a running start on this one with her, so I need to just kind of start dropping a few hints along the way, you know? And finally she just, ah, whatever. <laughs> you see, human reasoning cannot help you determine what ultimate truth is because our human reasoning is twisted and depraved by the fall. And unless our minds are renewed in Christ and consistent with the Word, we can't reason out what God wants us to do. Secondly, because our freedom of will is a part of His will. Because our freedom of will is a part of His will. You see, God did not make us as mindless robots. He gave us a choice. He gave us the ability to think and to choose. He said to Abraham, follow me. I want you to go to a land that you've never gone before. Now guess what? Abraham had a choice. He had a choice. The disciples had a choice. The freedom of will in man is part of the will of God that we choose to follow His will and not our own will. God doesn't want us to just mechanically follow. You see, God took a risk, and it was a calculated risk. He said, I'm going to place within man the ability to reason and the ability to think and the ability to choose unlike any other thing I've created, and I'm going to make him a living, breathing soul that communes with me so he can find out what I want him to do. And God's given us all a choice to accept or reject, to choose Christ or reject Christ, to accept the will of God or to reject the will of God. Thirdly, because true fellowship can never be forced. True fellowship can never be forced. It can be asked for, it can be sought, it can be encouraged, but it can never be coerced. God inhabits the praises of His people. God's desire is that we would be filled with the knowledge of His will, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, and to increase in the knowledge of God. But if we choose not to do that, that's our choice. He's not going to force His fellowship on us. Fourthly, while God's will for individuals varies at times, His character and eternal purposes are unchanging. While God's will for individuals varies at times, His character and eternal purposes are unchanging. You see, God wants me to pray so that I will know what His will is for my life. Just me. Now, it's not God's will for everybody to be a preacher. If everybody was a preacher, who's going to fix our cars and who's going to fix our plumbing? If everybody's called into the ministry, then who's going to operate on us? And who's going to sell us groceries? Who's going to sell us the products we need for our house? You see, God's call is not automatically a call to ministry. 
But what it is, it is a call to a lifestyle. Now, here's what's important. Whether you're a preacher or a plumber, you ought to do it to the glory of God. In Acts chapter 13, when it says they were first called Christians in Antioch, that word called is a vocational word. It means that the Christians in Antioch, as they were observed, it appeared that their vocation, that their calling, that their life was their business was Jesus Christ. And they were plumbers and farmers and whatever else they were to pay the bills so that their business could be Jesus. You see, our business is Jesus. The will of God for us is relational more than it is anything else. And God's will varies for individuals. Number five, God's will for our character is permanently revealed in Christ. His will for us vocationally and oftentimes situationally must be sought by individuals. God's will for our character is permanently revealed in Christ, but His will for us vocationally and oftentimes situationally must be sought individually. Now, that does not mean that God's will involves situational ethics. God's will is always built on biblical ethics. Romans 8, 29 says that His will is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That has to do with character. The first thing you have to do is you have to relate to the will of God in your character. You see, folks, there's some things you don't have to pray about. You don't have to pray about whether you're supposed to be holy. You don't have to pray about whether you're supposed to walk in a way that pleases God. You don't have to pray about if you're supposed to tithe. You don't have to pray about if you're supposed to be gracious and kind. You don't have to pray about if you're supposed... Well, Lord, I don't know. You know, Lord, do you think I ought to have all the fruit of the Spirit? Can I just have three? No. You see, folks, there's some things in life, in the development of our character, that we don't have to pray about. We're just supposed to do and allow the Spirit of God to do it through us. Now, the pattern is set, and that pattern is Christ-likeness, and Christ-likeness is always in the will of God. If you want to know what it means to be in the will of God, one of the things it means is for you to be and act and do what Jesus would do, to represent Him in this world. <laughs> I, I, I got to... I'm going to chase a rabbit, and he's going to go about this far, and then I'm going to come back. I got an anonymous letter one time that said, God led me to write you this letter. You know what that is? That's a lie from hell. God doesn't lead anybody to hide behind anonymous letters. God doesn't lead anybody to hide behind innuendos or slight-handed remarks. God doesn't lead anybody to be unkind. We are to speak the truth in love, right? And I tell you, I've heard God blame for more stuff and more people just being flat-out stinking ugly and blaming God for it. And God didn't have anything to do with it. Now, let's just ask a question. We, we don't have these kind of business meetings here, so I can ask this question. How many of you have been in a, in a business meeting where somebody just got up and acted like the devil, and somewhere either before or after that meeting, they said they're just doing what God told them to do? Yep. They were in Yukon. <laughs> They've been to Yukon. Uh, Signal Mountain. Uh, now, folks, listen. You have every right 
as a brother or sister in Christ. When somebody tells you that God's led them to do something or to say something and it doesn't portray Jesus in it, you have every right to say, God didn't tell you to do that. You decide to do that on your own and you want to blame God for it and hide behind him. But you can't hide behind God with that kind of attitude. just can't do it. That's character. But then there's career. God's character is revealed in Christ. We're supposed to act like him. But then there's career. Should I take this promotion? I mean, I've had folks in, in my office, you know, and they say, you know, I don't know if I need to take this promotion. I don't know if, if we need to move. You know, should we buy a house or should we rent a house? Should I go to this college or that college? I mean, this college says this and, and that college says that. And, and guess what? There's no direct instructions. I didn't know the college I was going to after I left junior college in and went to Mississippi College. I did not know where I was going to college until three weeks before the day school started. Now, you ought to try to get aid and admission into a school three weeks before it starts. But I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to do. But you see, it, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, oh, you buy this house and God will bless you. You live on this street and God will bless you. You have this career and God will bless you. You go to this school and you'll meet the right people to advance your career. God doesn't tell us all that. You see, if God told us that, then we wouldn't have to live by faith. Then there'd be no faith involved in the will of God to say, God, what do you want me to do? We'd never have to seek God and the Bible would be nothing more than a vocational guidance book or a divinely inspired phone book. Just, Lord, now, who do I call? Let me just find in here in your Word, just tell me who I'm supposed to call. You see, the primary purpose of Scripture is for men to understand a need for a relationship with Jesus Christ and then for us to understand what that relationship with Jesus Christ means in our daily life. That's the purpose of the Word of God. And if you find that, then God takes care of the other things. You know, Max Barnett's a friend of mine. He's the director of the BSU at Oklahoma University. Been there for years. Has put hundreds and hundreds of college students into the ministry. But he has a standard line that he uses with all his college students. He says, before you ever take a job, you go to a town and you make sure you can find a church that preaches the Word of God without apology, that you can worship in, that you can invest your life in, because if you can't find that kind of church, don't go there. Doesn't matter how good the job is, doesn't matter what the benefits are, doesn't matter what they've offered you, don't go if you can't find a place of worship. That's good advice. It's real good advice. And a lot of people have made moves in their life based on what it looked like in their checking account only to find out they could never replace what they lost in the church they left. And so number five, again, is God's will for our character is permanently revealed in Christ. His will for us vocationally and oftentimes situationally must be taught, sought individually. Number six, God's will for your life will never contradict the clear principles and precepts of the Word. Nor will the Holy Spirit ever lead you to do something contradictory to the Word. The Holy Spirit is given for us to confirm the Word. It never contradicts the Word. He never contradicts the Word of God. Now mark it down, folks. God's Holy Spirit never leads anybody to do anything that contradicts the revealed nature of Jesus Christ in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't slap Jesus in the face. The Holy Spirit honors and exalts Jesus Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is leading in our lives, then He will lead us according to the revealed life of Jesus Christ 
and according to the Word of God and the principles and precepts laid out in that Word. Look at the quote by John Calvin. The testimony of the Spirit is more excellent than all of reason. Our mind is too weak to comprehend the spiritual wisdom of God, which is revealed to us by faith, and our hearts are too prone either to defiance or to a perverse confidence in ourselves or creaturely things. But the Holy Spirit enlightens us. Number seven. If there appear to be two roads, one easy and the other difficult, we cannot assume that the easy road is necessarily his will. If there appear to be two roads, one easy and one difficult, we cannot assume that the easy road is his will. Now, I'm just going to give you some things that I've heard, okay? It must be God's will because everything is going so well. It must be God's will because my parents are excited about what we're doing. Listen, just because your parents or your in-laws or your friends pat you on the back and say, man, that's great, you ought to do that, doesn't mean it's the will of God. You cannot interpret that as the will of God. I've heard people say it must be God's will for us to move because our house sold so quickly. When I moved from Fort Worth to First Baptist Church Ada and took less than a $2,000 pay increase, I had two house payments for 13 months. I never doubted that I was where I was supposed to be. Never doubted. Now, my checkbook didn't look real good, but I never doubted where I was supposed to be. You see, sometimes we just want to read the easy into God's will. God's will isn't always easy. I've heard people say this, it must be God's will because I'll make more money and there are better benefits. <laughs> How many of you have gotten more money and better benefits in a job and you've been miserable? No, don't raise your hand. You, your boss may be in the room. I've heard people say it must be God's will because I know others who have made the same decision. What has that got to do with anything? Folks who said, I know it must be God's will because I feel so good about it. It must be God's will because I opened my Bible and looked and looked and looked and looked and looked and I finally found a verse that agreed with me. <laughs> it must be God's will because God hasn't stopped me. It must be God's will because I want it. Hold your place in Colossians and go to Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Boy, now here's a guy who was walking in God's will. Had a blessed life. If anybody ever lived on Easy Street, if everything he invested in, he got double his money on it. I mean, you can't find a guy whose life was blessed any more than Job. Blameless, upright, and fearing God. That wasn't his mother talking either. That was God talking. This man is blameless and upright and fearing God. Job chapter 1 and verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Now, I'm going to tell you something right there, folks. Anytime God starts bragging on you, you're in big trouble. You know, have you ever considered, Michael, Lord, just bra brag on somebody else? Just brag on something. Don't brag on me. If I'm doing anything right, don't tell the devil I am. I don't need any more pressure. 
Now here's a guy who is blameless and upright. He's walking in the will of God. His life is being blessed. His family is being blessed. His finances are being blessed. And then in verse 9, Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse thee to thy face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now you remember the story. Satan destroyed his crops. He destroyed his family. He ultimately destroyed his health. And then Satan sent three friends, you know, deacons from the church to go tell him that the reason he was sick and hurting and lost everything was because he was out of God's will. Now, had anything changed in Job's life? No. He was still blameless and upright and fearing God. But being in the will of God as a blameless and upright, fearful man who turned away from evil, he went through literal hell on earth. What does that tell you? It tells me that walking in the will of God doesn't necessarily mean we're on easy street. By the way, if anybody ever tells you that when you're in the will of God, life's just a bed of roses, ask them how they explain Paul being in prison more than he was out on the street. Ask them how they explain Stephen being stoned to death. Ask them how they explain Job. Because you see, the Word of God tells us that the will of God is not easy, but it's always right. Nobody ever promised us a bed of roses without thorns. But he promised that his grace was sufficient when we're walking in his will. Now, secondly, undertaking the will of God is our privilege, and believe me, this will go quicker. Paul prayed that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will. We're back in Colossians. Epaphras prayed that they might stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. William's translation reads, earnestly pleading for you in his prayers that you may stand fast as men mature and of firm convictions in everything required by the will of God. The book of Ephesians, Paul said, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of God is. First of all, to know the will of God is important. But to do the will of God is the issue. You see, you can know it and not do it. You can know what the will of God is, but not do it. And, and by the way, sometimes it's the will of God, but it's not the right time for you. Sometimes God's will is for you to do something, but His timing is different than your timing. Case in point. First time the pulpit committee from this church called me was in December after Brother Billy left in November. And I said, no, I wasn't interested. I called again in July. We talked for a while. No, not really interested. Came up here and spent a day, looked around. Didn't think I'd hear from them again. The third time they called was in September. Now, I didn't believe it was the will of God for me to come and be the pastor of this church until September, the end of September, the 1st of October of 1989, although the first call came in December of 88, and I said no twice. I didn't believe it was God's will. It was God's will, it just wasn't God's time. You see, God has a will, and he also has a time for that will. And you and I have to be open that if it may be God's will for us to do something, but God's timing is different than our timing. So it's not just knowing the will of God, it's once you know it, it's doing it. It is doing the will of God. Now, it's not enough to understand it, you have to undertake it. 
So you ask yourself the question, are you seeking to please God in your job? Are you seeking to please God in your relationships? Are you seeking to please God in your entertainment choices and your recreation? Are you undertaking the will of God as you know it? Well, I don't know what all the will of God is for me for the future, but you know what it is right now. And what you know to do now, you're supposed to do. Number three, undermining the will of God is our peril. Undermining the will of God is our peril. Now, there's a bunch of illustrations listed there. Let's just kind of go quickly through them. Eve undermined the, undermined the will of God when she didn't trust God's will for her life and she didn't trust God's word. The Tower of Babel was built because men were trying to become like God rather than following God. Noah was used of God to build an ark. If Noah hadn't built the ark, we wouldn't be here today. Neither would mosquitoes and gnats on that case. But Noah got drunk and he brought shame to his family. Abraham was not willing to trust God, although he was willing to trust God to get him and take him to another land. He wasn't willing to trust God in front of Pharaoh, and so he lied to Pharaoh that Sarah was his sister instead of his wife. Israel believed that the grasshoppers were bigger than God. They died in the wilderness. Moses struck the rock he was told to speak to. David lusted after Bathsheba, and her husband had her husband murdered, and it brought judgment on his house. Peter rebuked Jesus and then was rebuked by Jesus. Demas forsook Paul, having loved this present world. All of those people were at one point in their life following the will of God and doing the will of God, but at some point they decided they wanted more what they wanted than they wanted the will of God. By the way, folks, that can happen to any of us. That's why... So many people fall into faith because they rely on something they did for God in the past and they don't live for God in the present. You see, it doesn't really matter if you followed God's will in the college you went to and in the job you took and you followed God's will yesterday. What matters is did you follow God's will today? Because today is what you've got. And if you miss God's will in the past, you can't do anything to change that. Can you follow God's will today? You see, here's the statement. Not my will, but thine be done. The will of God is not negotiable. It is not debatable. It is what we are to seek. Not my will, but thine be done. You know what, folks? Just a little... Hints from Heloise. We spend way too much time trying to tell God what His will is or trying to figure out what His will is for other people and we don't spend enough time trying to figure out what His will is for our lives. You know, now I'm a high D type A personality. I'll give you my opinion whether you want it or not. I mean, you know, I just, that's just my personality but I cannot figure out the will of God for your life. I can advise you on the basis of the Word. I can give you counsel based on my understanding of your circumstances, but only you know what God wants for you. And you stand accountable for your life. I don't stand accountable for your life. I stand accountable for mine, and quite honestly, I got more to stand accountable for than I want to. 
and you know, with the transition of Albany the way it is, and you know, people get transferred all the time, and people always say, well, you know, I don't know if I ought to do this, I don't know if I'll do that. You know what? I don't either. But I know one who does. And I've watched some people leave and move from this place to take bigger jobs and bigger promotions and have better benefits and nicer homes and all those kind of things, and they're in the will of God. I've also watched some people stay in this place, which has cost them advancement. But they've stayed because they believed this was where God wanted them to be, and this was what God wanted them to do. And you know what? Individually, they both were right. What's God want you to do? Well, I can tell you, He wants you to be filled with the knowledge of His will. He wants you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects. And if we can get verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1 down, it'll answer a whole lot of questions about everything else we want to know about. Our problem is we want God to show us something else. and We want God to tell us where we're going to be 10 years from now, or 15 years from now, or 20 years from now, where we're going to retire. Where, where should we buy retirement property, Lord? I don't know. I hadn't decided if the earthquake's going to take all that land out or not yet, so just go with me. You see, what God wants from you tonight is a submission to His will and a desire for the full knowledge of it. That's all He wants. That's all He wants. By the way, the pursuit of God is hard work. But it reaps great rewards. Two options come your way. What do you do? When I left uh, First Baptist Church, Yukon, Oklahoma, I had two churches that I was dealing with. Never done that before. Never done it since. Learned a lesson in doing all that. One church was in Texas. The other church was in South Carolina. The church in Texas, boy, that was, that was easy. That was pie in the sky. I mean, you just wouldn't believe I mean, that church had so much money, they were throwing it out the windows at people driving by in cars. They were building a 500-seat chapel. You open up the door of the church, and you could see the university in town out the front door of the youth minister's office. They said, we've got $30,000 to redo all the youth minister's office, and you're gonna, we're going to hire you three associates. Do anything you want to do. Here's your budget. And at that time, it was phenomenal. Building a 500-seat chapel, it's yours to use. I want you to do a college worship service. It's yours to do. I said, man, this is great. Carlos McLeod was a pastor. He's preached here. I loved Carlos McLeod. I mean, he was the most kind-natured Christian gentleman I'd ever met in my life. The other church <laughs> wouldn't return phone calls, wouldn't answer questions, wouldn't do anything. I mean, there was no reason for me to go to South Carolina. I was five days away from going in view of a call in Texas. And God spoke to my heart and said, Michael, if you go there, you're going to miss me. When I went to South Carolina, I had one and a half years of great ministry, and I had one and a half years of living hell. The most miserable, frustrating, desperate time I've ever had in my ministry. A time when I wondered if God had left me in the wilderness to die. But South Carolina was the will of God for me. 
because I learned things about God in South Carolina that I could not have learned in Texas. And it made me a better man. And so, folks, when you talk about the will of God, don't take easy street. Easy street may be it, but don't always assume that it is. Because sometimes the will of God will cost you very dearly. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Catt. For more information about Sherwood, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. Thanks for listening and join us next week for another podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church.